situation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is the kicker. The kicker comes through. We're back. Welcome back to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian Podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. Got a fun show planned for today as we discuss the start of spring practice, expectations for the next month in the lead-up to the Orange-White Spring Game, and also we're going to touch a little bit on the NCAA tournament, uh, even though the name of the podcast isn't the Fire Shaka Smart Podcast, uh, so we don't really know a whole lot about ba- uh, basketball. Still got to talk about it. It's still a very exciting time to be a Texas fan. Anyway, I'm Josh, here with Noah, and today we are joined by a couple special guests. You probably know best know them from YouTube for their videos talking not only Texas football, but also about the Dallas Cowboys, UFC, and really the sports world in general. Fanatic Perspective. Welcome to the show, Stephen and Tran. We are excited to have you guys here. Right, we're excited to be here. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Josh and Noah, thank you for the invite. We're happy to be here. I mean, I, I think one of the first things I want to talk about is just the, the differences that we've seen. Obviously, you guys work in a lot different platform than we do. We're not on YouTube. Um, I know from talking with Will Bazer, uh, the owner of uh, Hornscast, he's super jealous of the anal- the analytics that you guys get and the the level of viewership you guys get. He's always super impressed um, with how it seems like the, the Texas YouTube space seems like it's constantly growing. You guys, there's the Texas Football Talk, Texas Platinum, Texas Homer, those guys. It seems like all of those channels are growing. Uh, and I think it's really exciting because I think for you guys, especially getting to do the live shows and all that, having that next level engagement with the fans, with your audience, uh, I think makes your platform really unique. It's been great, just the interaction, especially those live chat conversations. There's nothing better than a live chat after a win. Right. And, and, and the, the engagement that you get, the irrational confidence that you get from our fellow Longhorn fans out there. Tran and I love it. I, I, I'm just the opposite. I like the ones where it's a terrible loss because that's when you see the real colors of people. It's really funny to me. Really entertaining. So, yeah, it's, it's on both spectrums. Did you all do any of the live streams during the 2018 season? Like after the Sugar Bowl, after OU? We so we were still recording. We hadn't dabbled a whole mm. lot in lives at that point. We um we were starting to a little bit. It was one of those things where we we definitely started doing it more. I would say after the Sugar Bowl, um, and part of that is just us becoming more tech savvy. But you know, after the Sugar Bowl, we really started getting after it um, in terms of those live engagements and because. You know, our, our boy Sam Ellinger did the whole we're back. Everybody's excited. Everybody wanted to talk to us all the time. People just wanted to jump on YouTube and hang out. So, you know, Noah, it's something that, like, developed uh, over time, probably after that Sugar Bowl win. Cool. The only reason I ask is because those are kind of the most exciting moments that I remember from the Tom Herman era. Um, so I imagine it was a lot more up and down <laughs> in the 2019-2020 seasons. Absolutely. The OU game um, that you're talking about, that you're talking about the walk-off kick from Dicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was at, I was at that game. So you didn't want me on on live air (laughs) after that game. So that was, that that wouldn't have been a good, good idea. Oh, we did a live, you want to talk about live reactions, guys. We did a live walking back uh, from DKR after the LSU loss. 
And mm. that one, we definitely let some go. Um, <laughs> because we got into this dispute. It was crazy because we're on live and we're walking like, what was that, Tran? Was that MLK or wherever we were walking back towards? And we're bumping into people who recognize us while we're on live. So we're like, hey, it's, you know, my boy <laughs> Holt or, you know, my boy Rick and, and like people that we interact with. And then we're like going back into our rant. And I start getting into an argument with somebody in the taco shop about third and 17 <laughs> and, and why we, you know, why we sit the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are those are the type of moments, you know, you you it's like reacting with the rest of the world. But how everybody in, in our Texas fan base was reacting after that game. So those are the moments you cherish. Yeah, yeah. No, that and, sounds awesome to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just being in U- on YouTube in general gives you a different level of that recognition. I, I don't remember what game it was a year or two ago, but I simply remember even I was sitting there early on, just had only seen maybe one or two of your videos, and I'm sitting there, and they do a crowd shot. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I know that guy. Is that the guy from Fan Perspective? And then I'm like checking your Twitter after the game. You're like, yep, that was me. Ah, oh, okay. I knew it. I knew I recognized him somewhere. See, no one's going to pick up on me and Noah like that. No one's just going to be like, no, I've heard that voice for sure when I'm screaming at the ref to not to, uh, throw the flag on the obvious pass interference. Some guy like four rows above me. Wait, I know that voice from somewhere. I know that I know. voice. The most we've gotten is like people we work with going like, I recognize your voice. I re- you're, you do a podcast, don't you? And it's like, yeah, man, don't just keep it on the down low, okay? Just don't talk about it too much. <laughs> hush, hush. Well, if anybody gets recognized, it's Tran um, because of his physical stature, and 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 the memes, <laughs> the memes that we get about Tran, uh, whether it's his particular you know muscle or body composition, or uh, uh, the weatherman thing that's starting to, to to pick up a little bit because Tran's big and of factoring weather into his predictions. So we call him Weatherman Tran. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. but that, that interaction, I think whether it's podcast form, whether it's YouTube, it's fun. It's good fun. It, it's, it's you know, a lot of our friendships, you know, buddies, people that develop nicknames, it's because of these type of relationships uh, with your favorite sports teams or your rival sports teams. So uh, totally, totally with it. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen that through social media, maybe not so much from podcasting or even from Twitter, but uh, with our activity on Longhorn Nation on Reddit, those tailgates that the subreddit hosts. um, Yeah, you you get to have, you build a lot of relationships with people that you otherwise never would have met. And I think that's definitely one of the more rewarding parts of doing all this stuff and being active in the online Longhorn community is definitely getting that exposure to those people that, Otherwise, you'd never come across in your day-to-day. And I'll just shamelessly go ahead and plug the hot take line. Uh, (laughs) We'll read out the number at the end of the episode, you know. But, um, yeah, we love getting calls and everything from people as well. They'll call into the show, and we'll feature voicemails sometimes. So I think that's, yeah, a really cool part of it. Yeah, that's our best way to get get some interaction with the fans more involved on the podcast. I definitely like when we get those and probably should have checked that to see if anyone had called lately about anything. <laughs> do, you get, checking. Uh, do you get uh, people who call you about, you know, break it down certain, certain formations or anything like that? Cause those no. are my favorite ones that we get. No, no one, no one goes that in depth. Usually it's just stuff like, especially what was after TCU after Oklahoma, 
people just losing their minds like oh tom Herman needs to be fired yesterday uh this is who we need to target urban meyer bust was a theme for a while um i'm surprised it's still not a theme (laughs) i know there's there's probably someone it's the off season it's just not as it's not as hot a topic right now that's all what happened to the urban meyer people or did they just blend into the Steve Sarkeesian? Oh, we're group? all Steve Sarkeesian fans now. There we go. That's the <laughs> right answer, the Noah. We knew it from That's the start. That's the right too. answer, Noah. We are all <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian fans. Like whenever his first name, his name was first floated and it came up, we definitely weren't really disappointed. Okay. <laughs> we we yeah. believe no, in no, Sarks. None of beginning. us were pessimistic about, wow, that would be a disaster. Never had a doubt. 100% yeah. bought in from the start. Uh, but with that, let's just just jump into spring practice. Obviously, there's a lot of new faces at Texas, uh, both on the sideline. A lot of new guys coming in. Transfer portal has been getting hit hard, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, obviously, Sam Ellinger's gone. So that's really, I think, where the the real intrigue comes in. Spring practice, I think, for the average fan is generally pretty boring, unless there's a QB battle like we've got this season. So it's all eyes are going to be Hudson Card, Casey Thompson. I think that's going to be the dominant story throughout the next month. And if it, if it's anything else, that's probably not a positive thing. So I I think I think you're spot on, Josh. It's going to be you know we're going to be there with a magnifying glass as fan bases. Every single throw, every single rep, anything that we get to see, right? Because you know mm-hmm. how they are on social media about posting little clips and things like that. And then the rest of it, we'll have the magnifying glass on all the insider reports. Every single thing that comes out, oh, Casey was a little off today. You see? You see? This is a Hudson Card's opportunity to, to break through. <laughs> and, 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 and people are – we're going to scrutinize this probably going into the summer, to be honest with you. Uh, unless there's just some sort of just mass separation where it's just blatantly obvious. But in, at Texas, there is nothing like a quarterback uh, competition amongst this fan base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's actually going to go even deeper into the fall. So say Casey's starting and he throws a three-interception game. I mean, he, he had a, he had a f- phenomenal game in uh, against Colorado, but there was a couple passes that he forced in there. And if he wasn't playing against trash players like like Colorado's defensive backs, um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he probably he probably would have had a couple picks that game. So I mean, if that happens, say that happens in Arkansas, you know people are going to be calling for his head right then and there. So yeah, I mean, there's I, absolutely that's our absolutely no patience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's so it's going to be. I'm just going to do my best to enjoy it because I think it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> and I also know that none of it matters. Okay. <laughs> so anything before like August is just like, maybe it'll shake out, but uh, that's kind of my perspective going into it. Cause it's also the first real and not totally depressing QB battle that we've had in a long time. Right. Probably going back to mm-hmm. when Colt left. Um, so every time before that we've had an incumbent starter and maybe, there was, you know, supposed to be a battle um, like Shane Bouchelle and Sam Ellinger in 2018. But really, I think that most of us knew that Ellinger was probably going to be taking the reins. Um, whereas this one, I think, is much more even footed. And I also think that I'll be happy with either outcome. So that's why I'm just saying, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy the process and also accept the fact that I don't I don't know anything about either player because <laughs> there's just not a lot out there. Right. Um, 
but yeah, I kind of trust Sark on that front, choosing the right guy and uh, getting it kind of tailored to their fit in the offense. I think the most interesting part of that is you look at Steve Sarkeesian's history with quarterbacks. He's got a lot of true pocket passers, even guys who had more mobility, guys like Tua. You didn't really see him use them in the run game as a weapon nearly as often. Sure, they might scramble around, keep a play alive. But for the most part, you're certainly not going to see anything out of him that we saw with Tom Herman using Sam Ellinger as a battering ram in goal line situations, fourth and short situations. I think that's extremely interesting, Interesting, especially because two of the biggest value adds, or the biggest value add for both Casey Thompson and Hudson Card is their mobility. Mm-hmm. And you're not in one of these situations where you've got, yeah, the, the new guy isn't really the, the right fit. He's not necessarily a pocket passer. Um, and the guy with the experience is the pocket passer to where you start, to where it gives you that sort of hint to where, Sark is going to prefer the pocket passer, especially when you add in the wrinkle of reports that have come out, uh, I think, through The Athletic and through various other outlets, talking about how much the previous staff loved Hudson Card, loved his arm, loved everything about him. I think that the mix of athleticism between those two guys, as well as the arm talent there, adds a different layer to this than if it was... Yeah, Shane Bouchel versus one of these guys, where one is clearly more of the in-the-pocket guy, and you'd favor him by default. I think that's one of the things, even more than just watching their head-to-head progress, seeing how Sark tailors his offense when he has a guy who can be a rushing weapon. I think to Noah's earlier point, I think you hit it right on the head, Josh, but to Noah's earlier point about enjoying this process and enjoying this spring, it's it's really intriguing because Josh they're they're so similar. Mm-hmm. Now their size size you know they have little different builds, but in terms of what they bring to the table, strengths and, and unknowns because we don't really I, I, we haven't seen enough of either guy to really say all right solidify these are his weaknesses blah blah blah. But strengths and unknowns we see arm talent from both we see the mobility from both like you said so. How, who who takes a hold? Who takes the reins? Who goes out there in those scrimmages? Those scrimmages that that we know the coaches love when you know, hey, there's there's something on the table. Who's moving the team up and down? Who's moving the team consistently? Who do they respond to? Um, sometimes they both throw a good ball, but the team just responds better to a different guy. But I think I, I like Noah's approach. Let's just enjoy it. The thing is, we you know. All three of you guys know in our fan base, people love to develop factions. And you already have them. You already have the people who are not going to be objective (laughs) when things Mm -hmm. are going on. And they're willing to make excuses for one kid versus another. It happens all the time. It it was, you still have people that if they could have their way, they would have chose Shane Bouchel. Let's be real about that too. Like Mm -hmm. there's still some of those people out there in the fan base and they pop up every now and again so i'm not gonna say that i'm one of those people but on reddit my like (laughs) flare tag still says team boosh that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) just throwing that out there yeah but i mean when you look at even going back to that one i think y'all hit it bouchelle and sam ellinger were not comparable quarterbacks in terms of what they brought to the table so it was easier to kind of fall in line because it's also subjective at that point do i like the guy who's more of the Tim Tebow dual threader. Do I like the guy who's throwing 
a pretty deep ball, but he's a little smaller and has a little less mobility. So, um, and again, how that plays into the team and what offense this has. But this is all going to be a reflection of Steve Sarkeesian, like you guys are saying. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, Sark is definitely smart enough to see who's going to be successful in his system. I mean, he did at USC. He coached for a Super Bowl team. I mean, they didn't they didn't win a Super Bowl, but he coached all the way to the Super Bowl. He's coached in the national championship just as last year. So the things I want to see, you know, I, I like seeing the little clips of them dotting up a, a, a big, a nice nine route over the summer. But I want to see a full play where, you know, they're getting pressure and they had – to see who reacts better with the internal clock. Cause that may be the, that may be honestly the difference because the question mark of this team is going to be the offensive line. So uh, that's, that's the one thing I want to see, you know, if, if they can get rid of the ball quickly under pressure. Don't you guys think that's kind of the next phase though, in terms of what the offensive line combination is going to be, because you're losing a guy like Sam Cosme. Kerstetter mm-hmm. is coming back back but really in terms of like who are your definitive starters going in that you know on paper out of that five because Kyle Flood has a very important job to do coming off of what we saw with Herb Hand I think the only definitive starter you can put down on paper right now is probably Junior Angulau because after that like I don't know if Kyle Flood wants to try Derek Kerstetter at center again and let him compete with Jake Majors I don't know if they like somebody else that left. I like the way uh, uh, Carrick finished the season. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked like he was ready to play. I thought Jake Majors looked like he was ready to play. But Tyler Johnson threw his hat in the in the ring uh, uh, in the Colorado game. So what that combination looks like, I think that's going to be something for all of us to pay a lot of attention to uh, early in spring in spring ball on the offensive line. And I think a lot of people sort of started slotting in as soon as Kerstetter's announcement became official that he was returning I think a lot of people wanted to rush and put him back into that right tackle spot where he he flourished in 2019 played really well as a right tackle uh had a lot of signature not positive moments (laughs) playing center but I think there's a lot of questions where we uh, as fans obviously and not as the doctors we have no idea how that recovery actually goes for Kerstetter does he come back uh, with that strength to be able to play at that level, at, even if he goes back to right tackle, where he was clearly a better fit than at center. Was it a dislocation? Was it a dislocation? I thought it was a full break. Okay, so it was a full break. Okay, so uh, I actually had a dislocated ankle, and it took me three months to even get back to actually running straight line. So with his weight, probably they're going to err on the side of caution in around five months. That's when he's jogging. And then around six to seven months, he's probably cutting. So right now, he's probably in the process of cutting. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be a little while. And yeah, and so I googled it really fast. Uh, it says he suffered both a dislocated ankle and a broken fibula. So, wow. So we were both right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm curious to see when he puts pads on. Yeah, I, I, I think what it's the timetable for that is. It's definitely not this spring. If if it is this spring, uh, I mean, props to the the sports health guys that are part of the program. But yeah, I think at this point, if we see him before fall practice, if we see him in videos and workouts during the summer or something like that, um, that'll be encouraging. But we're not going to see him in pads. I think any sooner than fall practice, and even if 
Personally, if I see him in pads, even early on in fall practice, I'll count that as a bit of a miracle for him. Um, but I think unless that, they the thing... uh, unless they give him the uh, serum that they yeah. gave to <laughs> Steve Rogers in, in Captain yeah. America, they flew him to Argentina. We could just send him back with what Isaac Pearson and uh, Bougie, see if they got the hookup. (laughs) Um, But so honestly, I'm one of the people that's slotting Kerstetter in at right tackle uh, because I do think he was good there, and I do think that his recovery will go well. It's, I mean, it's not a definite thing, right? But just modern sports medicine is very good. Um, and then we're talking about the timetable, but this guy has been starting what four years now, four yeah. full seasons starting. So I ago. think that he's a good enough player and reliable enough to, to go ahead and come back and hit the ground running in the fall. Uh, Cause you know, you look at some of the other guys like Overshone, who's now missing the spring. Um, he's a guy that would have benefited from a lot of reps, uh, even though he has a full season under his belt, having somewhat new of it to the position um, in a new system, it'd be good. Uh, and then even like Omire last year, you know, got hurt, missed the entire season. Those young guys, fall practice, spring practice, like really huge for the development. But at this point, I mean, Kirsten has been through four spring practices, and um, I think he's a good enough student to pick up the new concepts that Flood will bring in so that he can still, you know, bring out some value from fall and then be a contributor for the season. The one thing that I I – sort of gain a lot of confidence from and this doesn't really answer the question of sort of the the left to right who's going to be the the definite starters outside of Angelou but the one thing that gives me a little bit of confidence in whatever that combination ends up being is you look at the transfers that we've taken and they're almost exclusively on the defensive side of the ball especially around the linebacker and edge rusher to me maybe it's me sticking my head in the sand and we just haven't been able to land the guys that we've been chasing that tells me that Kyle Flood's pretty happy with the with what he's got on campus. He, we haven't been pushing really hard, or at least it hasn't come out that we've been pushing hard for those O-line transfers. That's the only thing that gives me sort of increased confidence beyond just a lot of questions, is that Kyle Flood has those skins on the wall. We He's not a question mark of an O-line coach. We know that he's a great O-line coach. And the fact that he's not chasing guys around that are in the portal to try and bring in more talent immediately makes me more confident in the whatever that combination ends up looking like on looking like on the o-line that's something you really appreciate about the new staff is the due diligence that they've done in making their evaluations and i think that's the mistake that tom herman made when he came in in 2017 of trying to do a complete rip and replace instead of really doing a full-blown audit because he would have found some gems that he kind of let go or people he kind of pushed aside or said, I want to change everything. Whereas this staff has kind of come in and said, no, let's, let's audit everything. Let's turn over. You know what? These, we can develop these guys. There's nothing wrong with Christian Jones. I'm even seeing stuff that, that, that are, that's out there where they're like, hook Finn, why weren't you playing tackle? Why did they have you at guard? You know, having like, that's a, if I'm Isaiah hook Finn or one of those players and a coach comes to me and says, I'm actually flattered by your practice tape because they said they were going to go over everybody's not just game tape, but their practice reps. And so they like Kyle Flood may say, I disagree with her pan and, and how he was using you or how they were developing you. I think what? that's encouraging for the younger players. Disagreeing with her hand 
and his uh, well, I think personnel that alone, decisions. That let's... alone will buy a ton of goodwill from the fan base <laughs> yeah, as far not... as the O-line is concerned for Kyle Flood. Um, no, but yeah, I, I trust Flood. Um, and you can look at that. I think there's a lot of positions where you can kind of say with the new staff, um, even though there's going to be some reshuffling, you can at least trust that those guys are going to play on the higher spectrum of their ability, right? Um, because you can trust the coaching and development. Um, so I'm I'm pretty confident their line will be good. It'll be young. You know, like I think majors will start for sure. But I also think that majors is a year or two away from really being a like a all-conference caliber kind of player. I just think he gets pushed back a little bit too much and – you know that'll come with strength over time, but could he be pretty good last year? Next year, yeah, I think so. Um, and then the big thing that we haven't touched on at all is uh, Bijan Robinson is one of those rare running backs that will make his offensive line look good instead of vice versa. Um, and I think that that can go a really long way, especially with the way that Sarki likes to use RPOs, move the running back around, um, get them involved in all facets of the game. I did actually. Uh, oh, go ahead, Josh. Uh, I was going to say, I did watch the video you guys posted earlier today. So I know for Tran, that's sort of priority number one for spring practice is is uh, full-on bubble wrap. Get that man Not away hurt from him. everybody. <laughs> Just leave him in the weight room, let I him build yeah. some strength, and that's yeah. about Tran, it. Tran I don't want anyone looking at him wrong. <laughs> Tran wants don't to give him a red jersey. <laughs> You're not allowed to Any... don't touch the merchandise. <laughs> yeah. Don't even look him in his eyes. Just keep on walking by. <laughs> I'd Don't be down for that <laughs> for spring practice because spring is too – that's too soon for anything bad to happen with the new staff, you know? Like like I was saying, I want to enjoy this. I don't want <laughs> three weeks from now Bijan to be tearing something and then, well, there goes your one. <laughs> Don't even put that energy out there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit that out. That, that'll, that'll I'll go find some post. wood that's to knock even here. somewhere. Where's some, I need to start burning some sage. <laughs> No, I, I think I think in terms of just how people are going to be showcased and in, in, in some of those things, we expect whatever we see as fans, whether it's scrimmage material or ultimately the orange-white game, to be extremely vanilla, mm-hmm. as as it is with every single staff, right? But just the we know this program is going to be built around number five. That mantle was handed over from Sam Mellinger. He is the the. The person, you know, the amount of number five jerseys you'll see at DKR next year is going to be crazy. He's kind of like that Reggie Bush for us now, where he's mm-hmm. the mar- He's going to be on the marquee. If you had to put a face, his smile, he, he looks like a star. And I think that matters. I think he's going to be a good media presence. Even coming off the bowl game, when they started kind of pushing Bijan a little bit more. So um, health is important. Who are some of the guys... Uh, that just, you know, they just need to make it through spring. Because there's some people on the team that just have had some bad Omer, luck. Omeri, Whittington, Jake Smith. Yes, to all three of those. Basically, yeah. I think for the most part, it's the wide receiver core. I think that's another interesting question for spring practice is what that looks like. Knowing how mm. much Sark values speed, whereas Tom Herman's values for the offense or for the wide receivers especially was on those big body the size guys uh rather than burners or quick agility guys not really featuring them i think that's having a healthy wide receiver core throughout spring practice is critical to establishing what that looks like for steve sarkeesian who the guys are 
that benefit, whether that's Woodard, whether he gets a better shot, whether Marcus Washington gets more chances. Um, all of that comes down to how healthy is everybody through spring practice to, to really establish what that wide receiver core looks like. I think some of those guys, like the Woodards, the Marcus Washingtons of the world, Kennedy Lewis coming back, no time like the present, you guys, because they, they're coming in with a clean slate. No more of the, oh, they, you know, they were playing Kai Money over me or they were playing favorites. No more excuses. You, you got Andre Coleman's still there, but, you know, the, the, the proverbial shackles have been freed and it's time to say, you know what, no one's holding me back anymore. At least, and, and, and so I'm now being evaluated by a new staff and a scheme that is more wide receiver friendly. And I don't want to hear, you know, any more excuses about, because what's going to happen, they're not going to do the whole uh, musical chairs with the receivers anymore. Yeah. Where it's this series that you're on and Brennan Eagles is going off against Iowa State and then it's it's his turn to, to be on the sidelines and they rotate in Brennan Schooler. It's like, no. If you're – look at Alabama's – it was Devontae Smith, Waddle when he was healthy, yeah. Mechie, and Billingsley at tight end. And they – that was the crew. So this is – I think that this is the biggest thing to pay attention to, Josh, Noah, Tran, is the wide receiver group and who they trot out there to get reps. And, yeah, I, I think a good comp is kind of like a – kind of like NBA playoff teams is around in around the playoffs they kind of tighten their rotation i think i think for non-conference games we're going to see a lot of names out there but once conference comes into play that's when you're going to see it locked down to maybe like five receivers getting reps who are healthy in and out and and that's that's kind of what we wanted to see we wanted to see our best talent out there we didn't want to just see oh great he had he had a great uh, pop now let's take him off for for the rest of the drive and see who else can have have some success. No, we're we're gonna we're gonna ride with what gets us to gets us scores and touchdowns. So that's what I'm excited about from the uh, from the offensive perspective. Yeah, and I think wide receiver will be another one of those ones like I mentioned with the offensive line where you see a lot of guys popping up kind of all over the chart. Um, I've been going back watching some Sark film, and those guys don't set the same time uh, or the same way every time because um, Herman Wright. I think Josh kind of already touched on it. It's all about your fit in that specific role. So are you an X, a slot, Z? Like, where are you? You're going to be there pretty much every time, um, except when you're on the bench because you got to get all the other guys in. Uh, but um, so I think that that just kind of goes along with the clean slate because it's not just a new staff coming in because um, really they're actually one of the few groups where their position coach is returning. But it's a new chance to show your skill off just anywhere on the field. Whatever skill it is, you can show it off. Um, so like I know that I am expecting Whittington and Smith to both be two of those key guys. Um, I'm hoping I'll say I'm a, I'm a Jake <laughs> Smith truther. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping for that. Cause I think that they can both play outside like, uh, Devonte Smith could, or Henry Ruggs. Like these are all guys that can play both inside out. Um, so I think it'll be cool just to monitor the movement around, um, but then I was just going to ask if y'all had any favorites, like who do you think are those three or four guys that you're kind of expecting um, or, or maybe even hoping to come out of the spring? I'll go first. For me, the guy I'm paying a lot of attention to is Calvante Dixon. Because when I look at 
these burners that come out of Alabama, he actually fits that mold. And then you look at what he did in the bowl, and I know it was one big play, but how many people did have we seen in the last five, ten years get that type of separation that deep downfield and properly track a ball <laughs> over their shoulder, right, and, and run away from the defense? And I think with his skill set, he could potentially, and it's and more importantly, part of the skill set that just raw speed that he has. I think that's somebody to pay attention to. The other person, Noah, your guy Jake Smith, I actually prefer him outside as well. I one of the things I think that was a misconception about Jake Smith coming out of high school was the the wiggle. I don't think he has as much wiggle as people thought, and I think that matters in the slot. But I know Jake Smith is fast, like straight line speed. I think he's fast, and I think he's. I think he'd be more productive, actually playing on the outside a little bit more, and letting guys like a Joshua Moore, or or Jordan Whittington, who have just a little bit better skill set inside. I think I'd like to see that flip. But that's that's my take on the receivers. So, yeah, I'm just gonna piggyback off of what you said with uh, just go go along and take the ball from you on the Jordan Winnington. I think that they're just going to find a lot of wrinkles to get him open. Um, even in the national championship game, you saw, you saw him uh, uh, put his receivers in orbit more motions. And I think he's going to be that guy for him. He's going to be all over the field. So I think he's going to get probably six to seven touches a game. And, uh, and he's one of those guys that he can run through, he can run through tackles and he could also break off break break someone down as well so that that's someone who i'm excited about i just hope that he he could stay healthy as well throughout the throughout the spring practice yeah i, I know tran sort of threw out there the sort of solidifying five guys before we get into conference play or right at the start of conference play who those guys are going to be uh sort of what i'm expecting josh moore or joshua moore so his mom doesn't yell at me on twitter uh <laughs> joshua moore um jake smith jordan whittington I'm hoping if he's everything that we saw in the clips from fall practice last year, uh, Troy O'Meary gets a lot of run out there. And then I think that fifth guy is Calvante Dixon. I think you have that blend of speed and you still have sort of the, the last stand of those big body, massive catch radius guys like we're apparently seeing from O'Meary from those clips last fall. I think what's exciting with though Mary is that they say he can really run. And I think that's just something we like we haven't gotten to see like we were going to see last year like we saw the clips and it's tantalizing cuz he has like these those one-handed catches and 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 his body like he looked huge as a freshman mm-hmm. as a but it's like if he's that big and he can run because we've had big dude, we've we we seem to be in the business of big body receivers the last few years. You think about all the guys we've had, but very rarely do we have anybody that can run. And, and when I say run, I'm talking about separating from people on a consistent basis. And if he's able to do that, man, that's a weapon that is is surely welcome for for the Texas offense. Yeah, and I think O'Meary ends up with sort of that reputation of not having that speed, not being able to run. Mostly because everyone on Texas internet had their their impressions slanted by the fact that he started off as an A and M recruit. So we all practiced for months, just talking talking shit, saying, <laughs> "Nah, he doesn't have it. He's slow." Looking at his twenty four seven page, seeing that what was it, like a four eight forty from back when he was like a sophomore in high school, 
and not seeing an updated version of that since. Um, I think that certainly poisoned the well a little bit for initial impressions of what he's capable of. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just add him to the list of guys that we really want to see in spring practice, see what he really is made of since we didn't get that opportunity last fall. That's a dude that could get a lot of buzz. If he makes like a – you talk about people that will – because, you know, at the same token, we will, you know, burn you on the internet. We will also fan out over a dude for making a couple plays in a spring game. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, that guy will have – he will have built up some goodwill with the fan base. Troy O'Mary is going to be one of those people where if he makes one type of catch or anything, like Colin Johnson, I think his freshman year – in the spring game had a really good, I remember him having a really good spring game. People thought he was going to be a thousand yard receiver, like right off the bat because of how he looked. Right. And I, I, I could see that happening for, for a guy like O'Mary. Yeah. Uh, I just remember just seeing his high school highlight where he was on ESPN top plays where he's just bossing three kids. You know, uh, that's what, that's what gets me excited about him. Just, just the physicality of, uh, of him going up and attacking the ball. I'm looking at I'm looking at seeing that, especially with you. You need someone with a giant catch radius. That's not a proven quarterback. I mean, when Sam was there, he was lucky to have L- LJ and also Colin because mm-hmm. he's like, hey, just throw it where you know that they can catch it. And that's what that's what made him so successful his sophomore year. So I, I know I know Casey Thompson is uh, is a little bit older and he's a, he's a son of a quarterback, but still, it's great to have that security blanket that hey, I can kind of throw it away but still make it catchable and most most of the times this guy's going to catch it so throw it that way hey jared wiley said i can be the security blanket too i'm i'm on the jared wiley fan club club you know it's like <laughs> i've been i've been this way for uh for two years now i've been wanting to see him play so i'm excited about him in this in this offense as well and I think that is the the other thing that I'm interested to see is it seems like the last two coaching staffs, uh, both with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, we've seen guys who were either role players or relatively maligned under the staff that preceded them uh, sort of blow up and become hugely critical guys, way better players. With Charlie Strong, you saw Michael Thompson go from the safety that no one wanted to see on the field to slap a pair of glasses on the guy and suddenly he's actually he's getting drafted what was it fifth round by the round by the giants yep Mm -hmm. um and then i think it was tom herman probably a little bit due to injury but you see andrew beck blow up with tom herman um i think there's an opportunity for a lot of those guys who got a lot of hate whether that's a juan mitchell where people thought okay he's 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 okay, but he's, he's not taking that next step. Is there something that can be unlocked there? Is there something where Jeff Banks, maybe he sees something in Cade Brewer that wasn't working out before for uh, Meekins or for who was our tight end coach last year? I totally blanked on the entire coaching staff out of nowhere. Jay Bulware. Yeah. Jay Bulware. Maybe there's something that, that Jeff Banks gets out of uh, Cade Brewer that we haven't seen before. I think that's the other part of spring practice that's really interesting is who is that guy who blows up out of nowhere and becomes a major role player where we just spent the last three years hating on the kid uh, for not coming through. And then come this time next year, we're going, man, we got to find a way to replace him. No, I agree with that because uh, Ngadi and I both stated that we think the strength and conditioning coach did Cade Brewer wrong. We think that he got too big. 
because coming out of high school, out of Lake Travis, he was a receiving uh, a receiving tight end, and we tried to turn him into Andrew Beck 2.0, and that that wasn't his strength coming out of high school. He was he was recruited to be a receiving tight end. So, I mean, I I say he drop if he drops 10 pounds or something like that, and just he he could start hitting those seam routes again and and getting those big chunk plays just off of little little tight tight end seam routes. It depends on how old some of the guys are too, right? Like Kay Brewer, it might be too far gone because he is a super senior where they're just like, hey, man, we appreciate you. Bring your leadership. Bring your hard hat. We're going to have you in there when we do go 12 personnel. But other than that, like it's, it's going to be the Jared Wiley show. But where I get there with Becton being in the strength and conditioning program is other people, to Josh's point about people blowing up, if they're reworking certain people's body composition where it's just like, dude, we actually think you're better with the weight closer to what you ever were in high school, or we know they made you bulk up to play a position that you were never really comfortable playing. Like those conversations are very, very real, real, especially for people that may have a couple years left of, of eligibility or, or, or beyond. I think that's a very, very good point by you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so for tight ends, that's, Something I hadn't considered about Brewer, um, and it makes me a lo- feel a lot better about what I'm about to say, which is going back, uh, <laughs> going back into Sark's offense. Like from last year, he uses a lot more 12 personnel than I expected. I knew that he ran some, and obviously that's bigger than NFL and kind of the pro style that he originally kind of grew up with. Um, but even last year, with uh, or the last two years, with all the stud receivers he's had, he still runs 12 personnel a lot, and he does that with. Um, you know, moving the guys around some to get whatever he look he wants. Uh, so I, I think that's something that may have been a, or that may be a rude awakening for some Texas fans that are, you know, like all about Jared Wiley, just get him on the field. Don't ever let Kay Brewer on the field. Cause I don't think that's going to happen at all. Um, I'm expecting maybe not splitting that starting point, but we'll probably see a lot of Brewer next year. Or Librock. Well, the th- the thing that bothers me is that fans don't understand that fatigue is a real thing. <laughs> and when when a player gets fatigued, most likely if they're if they're in a position where they're actually hitting constantly, that's where injuries happen. So you need to have a depth at the position. You can't just have the same guy in there every single play over and over again taking those hits. I don't know. I've I've run plays on NCAA 14 <laughs> where that guy has been red fatigue for the last three drives and is still making plays. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. I will say um, because I, I do want to um, tackle some of the guys on defense, and and I know you brought up Jawan Mitchell. Um, any concern about the linebacker crew right now, especially the guys playing more so inside? with Overshone's injury um, and, and you know, just seems, you know, light. Now, I know, you know, people like David Benda and, and Ford got a lot of snaps in the Colorado game. They got they got ramped up. Even the Kansas State game, they, those guys played a lot. But um, just moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, what's, what's y'all's thoughts there? Um, just, you know, overall, I mean, with, with some of the positions that might look a little light right now. I mean, I think depth there is a huge concern. That's why you've seen so many of those edge guys, especially uh, getting recruited in uh, from the transfer portal. I think 
honestly, Overshone's injury is this weird sort of double-edged sword. I spent all year, especially the early part of last year when Overshone was getting this baptism by fire. He was getting torched by TCU, getting torched by Texas Tech. And then by the end of the year, we're like, oh, my God, we're lucky he's coming back next year. Um, I was really – I had defended him early on saying he needed a spring practice. He needed a spring practice. And I thought he was going to make a huge leap with spring practice. Well, now he doesn't get spring practice. But on the other hand, he feels like the only part of the linebacking core where I already know what I've got there. I, I want to know what else I see. So to a certain degree, I feel bad that we don't get to see him take that next step in the spring. But at the same time, that opens up opportunities, get more play for Jalen Ford, for David Benda, um, for some of the other guys coming in. Blackwell, a lot of the freshmen who just came in. I think that opens up a lot of things to, to give them... Again, give them play where a lot of us are looking at it like linebacker is very thin right now. Well, we go through spring practice. We don't have overshown taking up snaps. Maybe we've got better depth than we realize. Um, I, I think that's probably that's another great area to be keeping an eye on as a fan if you want to watch more than just the quarterback battle. Who's, who's making a name for themselves in the linebacking core um, will be especially important. Yeah, I... So I love our linebacking court and I'm much higher on it than <laughs> than most positions because I think that while there's a depth issue, I think that it's more of an experience issue than like really depth. Um, so I think that like our as far as recruiting goes, I really am a fan of all of our takes since 2019, 2020. So the guys are young, they need experience. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, the silver lining on the overshone injuries that guys like Ford and Binda um, are going to be able to actually rotate in more in the spring get a little bit some more reps uh they're gonna have i think choate right is inside linebackers but i'm expecting pk to be with the linebackers some um because i'm expecting us to be have a lot of combo between that four two five and three three five look next year um so i think that they'll benefit from the attention they're getting this spring um and then i may have said that I thought Overshone was better than Malik following the UTEP game last year. <laughs> so so I'm like Overshone's biggest fan, uh, and I think that he's going to be great. I do, you know, I think that it sucks that he's losing the spring, but um, like Josh said, I think that we pretty much know what we got there. Um, as long as he can kind of maintain this consistency that he started to build last year, he's always had the skill to find the ball. It's really just some of the the linebacker specific things filling gaps um taking on blockers and then actually finishing plays whenever he's in a position to to get there um so Juwan Mitchell is kind of the last thing that I wanted to hit on here because I am much higher on Juwan Mitchell than a lot of people I think um and I think that Pete Kwiatkowski will help him because I think that the thing that he really just can't seem to get a hold of is uh, getting back and he's not as bad as like Anthony Wheeler, but he can have the ball just thrown right behind him, thrown around him. Um, and then whenever he's kind of put in conflict, you can kind of see some sometimes decisions can decision making maybe a little tough, but with PK coming in, I think that the way that he organizes his defense where typically it's just one safety far back, um, and another safety in the box. Uh, and if you have a guy like Vita Vea or Alfred Collins up front in the middle, it really lets the linebacker, I think not have to be, as involved for play action just based on what i've seen it seems like he doesn't need his linebackers to crush down as aggressively um so i'm hoping that that can kind of help uh mitchell just not have to 
freak out so much. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure. I'm not sure the best way to put it. No, but I just think I, you're the, making the, sense, Noah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think too with Mitchell, he doesn't get enough credit for what he does do well. Mm-hmm. You know, we always highlight, oh, he lost his man in zone. Well, da- damn it, he's 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 been bad in zone. But what about him blitzing? What about his run fits? Because he he's always been a badass with that stuff. But we don't we've never really given him. Uh, enough credit and just do and and he's one of our leading tacklers last season um and and it, it, it's it's been an up and down it's been a roller coaster because he was also at a point where he was ready to leave the program but then he you know really really kind of found you know his his home with coleman hutzler like they really developed a very very strong connection and it goes to show like relationships matter because when his relationship got strong his play got better and, and he started making more plays. So I think what these guys do do, Jawan Mitchell's an excellent blitzer. Double A, like he's he's scary. You look at Overshone's speed and ability, what he can do as a blitzer, that that does flow very well into Kwiatkowski and some of the zone blitzing things he, he likes to do where you may see, we already saw Alfred Collins drop out into coverage randomly and, you know, all of a sudden the guards and the tackles are a little, you know, out of sorts and those guys shoot the gap and blow right by them. So I I think we got to focus a little bit on what these guys do bring to the table. So I, I agree with you, Noah. Yeah, no, I also think that we're a lot deeper than than we than a lot of people are giving us credit for um, a guy from he's escaping my name. The guy who transferred from Notre Dame, a gofo. A gofo, yeah. We got, we're I'm bringing glad you GoFo. said it because I was not yeah. even going to be close to that pronunciation. <laughs> uh, uh, that's my then, Nigerian uh, brother. Yes. <laughs> well, and then uh, Ray Thornton, too, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, LSU. We, uh, you know, Ray Thornton, he, yeah, he didn't get a ton of run at LSU. However, you know, he was coached up well there. Coach O is a, is a, defensive coach. So, you know, he, you know, he knows proper technique to tackle. Um, once he gets into the scheme, if he's allowed to read the play, read the run, uh, I, I'm not going to give him too much credit yet for uh, for pass pass coverage or dropping back into coverage. But you know, I know he'll he'll be able to play the run if if he's if he's told what to do and what uh, what gap he's supposed to take or if he's supposed to take uh, take the outside or the flats or anything like that. I know he he he's has the ability to to follow through with his with his portion of it so you know i i i think it's kind of a blessing in disguise that he didn't get it's not a torn labrum right it's just a it's just a sprained shoulder a shoulder i i I see like a it's i think the timetable was like a three to four month recovery Um, i i think i had heard torn labrum but i don't know if that was just a rumor or if that was actual confirmation okay well that uh, then that's not a blessing in disguise. But um, uh, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm talking more so of, uh, of getting experience from other uh, of other players and letting them uh, get into the system a little bit and get some run and see what they have to get uh, what they have to show. So I I will say this though when we look at the front seven, however you want to classify you know whether you know you got the two people you know down and, and however when you look at the front seven to me. I'm with y'all in terms of, all right, we'll figure out who needs to get those reps to replace Overshawn right now for the time being. But 
we know when Overshawn's there, we've seen him, Juwan Mitchell, they can play. We've seen Benda and Ford play a lot, they can play. We know what we have up front between Coburn, Sweat, uh, uh, Alfred Collins. Uh, uh, we saw, uh, um, what's his name? The, 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 the mother, mother bull, young bull down there on the defensive Brunton? line. Vernon Broughton, right? So that whole little crew, I know I'm good there. The only question mark to me even even Ojimo, whether he's playing strong side defensive end or what he's mm-hmm. doing, the only question to me is is who's replacing Joseph Osai. That's yeah, and that's where the Ray Thorntons, the Agofos, the Jacoby Jones, and and all those guys come into play in terms of like, all right, where are we going to get some of that pressure from? But the scheme change, maybe the pressure comes from more the inside linebackers. So I think for me, I'm more so looking at the DBs where my question marks are to be honest with you, because I don't know where they want to play people. And I'm not as familiar with Terry Joseph and what Blake Gideon want to do. Like I, I feel more confident weirdly with Kwiatkowski and Choke and Bo and, and, and Bo Davis. than you know, I know Blake Gideon's come out gangbusters as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. I know Terry Joseph can recruit, but what their preference is for that, for the, for the secondary Oh no! I'd like to get y'all's thoughts on that. I feel like the only person that I feel reasonably confident in, as far as they're going to be where they are in the secondary, is going to be Deshaun Jameson. I think he's one of your starting outside corners. Everyone from there, it seems like every week I'm hearing a different rumor. Might as well just throw them all <laughs> into a grab bag, shake it up, and just start pulling names for positions. Because I hear, oh, Anthony Cook is nickel. No, Anthony Cook's going to be moving back to safety. And then, well, Josh Thompson has done both safety and outside corner now. Uh, You've got Chris Adimora, who maybe he put on too much weight last year because he seemed like he was more effective in 2019 than 2020. What happens, as we talked earlier, with the body composition stuff? Where does he slot in when that all comes together? B.J. Foster has constantly been looking for a a real home to settle into since he got to Mm. campus. Does he find that spot finally? And when Tyler Owens, who to a certain degree is like a the earlier version of DeMarvion Overshone, does he find space as a deep safety? Did they convince him to move down into the box like they had to do with Overshone and to eventually get him to be a linebacker? Um, that I, I think all basically those other four positions with Nickel, the other outside corner and the two safety spots are a, a massive question mark for me. Mm hmm. I think for me, the biggest one is going to be that free safety over the top. Um, I, we talk about guys that might have like a, um, I'm trying to think of the word guys that are going to come back with the new staff that might not have figured it out with the old staff. Mm. Um, and that's BJ Foster. Like that's my guy that I'm really looking at for that. Um, cause I think that he could fit really well as one of those box safeties that PK has, used for most of his career and moved around kind of um had him line up at the line or just with the linebackers every once in a while would drop deep yeah yeah exactly Booter baker probably not as good as Booter baker but (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think yeah yeah yeah, that's that's and that was i i've watched a couple pk games and that was just something that really sticks out is the way that he aligns his defense pre-snap but there's going to be one over the top and there's going to be one in the box a lot of time um, you know, ironically, I think Stearns would have been like a perfect fit for that guy over the top. And I would have had him, <laughs> I would have talked about him in the same way that I'm talking about BJ now, if he hadn't gone pro. Um, 
with apparently four or five speed that I don't think we ever really got a chance to see at Texas with how four, often he was hurt. Four four speed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll... depending on, I mean, if you, you take some points off for the home track. Uh, I don't... Right. <laughs> but even still, that, that, that stopwatch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but so then the, the downside, of course, of all the question marks being in the secondary is that safety is probably one of the few places where I am not as confident in PK because he always had Jimmy Lake, right? And mm-hmm. Jimmy Lake is probably the best developer of safeties in the country. So not having Jimmy Lake back there, how can, like, like you said, Stephen, like we're going to Blake Gideon now, who's pretty big question mark at that spot. We know we know he can recruit, but can he coach? Probably not as well as Jimmy Lake. <laughs> um, and then PK's defense just puts a lot of stress on the safeties. I think whenever you're, you know, whenever they're both your part of the front charge, and then also you're saving grace on the back end. Yeah, I, I think I think though when you talk about the safeties, the one guy who could maybe make you feel a little bit better is the way Jaron Thompson finished the season, because then it's like, all right, well, can, can if he can de- continue to develop the way he, he looked, you know, where he was kind of had that nose for the ball, so to speak, or if they don't like Jaron, I, I mean, I think that they probably will because he seemed like he was pretty cerebral as a, as a, well, he was a true freshman last year mm-hmm. and was able to get his hands on the football do they reroute Chris Adamora to your point earlier, Josh? I mean, th- it, to me, there's there's just so much uncertainty with what they could do. I mean, Josh Thompson has played almost every position in the secondary, like you said. I mean, the kid Dunn, um, that Tran, tran- you like Dunn from uh, McNeese State, the, the transfer, because he's a little bit bigger. Yeah, I like so, the big corners. Mm-hmm. So no, no one brought up Brennan Schooler. British schoolers in the safety room. You're right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I know I'm saying that like joking a little bit, but Ngadi and I yesterday pulled up his stats as a safety uh, his freshman year. He had something like four picks and like 70 plus tackles. And you you know, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski probably recruited him over there in the no- Northwest. You know, having to go against him maybe one or tw- once or twice. So I mean, that's probably why it was a pretty seamless. Seamless change for him to to put him at a free safety. Can somebody uh, call? Can somebody call the hot take line and tell us why Brennan Schooler got moved to receiver at Oregon? Because I don't know that story. I, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't know at all. So, yeah, that's who a, comes out as a question. true freshman and gets four picks and seventy four tack? Like, or unless they were just the most, you know, all deflections and they just like. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure maybe, out how he changes. They saw four picks from a guy in the secondary, and they're like, you know what? He's got good hands. We need receivers more than we need secondary guys. Let's put him there. He's, he's yeah, got I mean, sticky it's, hands. This it's is Oregon, Oregon I don't though. Know. They always yeah. have someone the ball. Uh, you know, I I don't think I'll ever uh, count out a really small, scrappy, white dude with long hair that has made it this far in his career. <laughs> you know, so maybe he does find himself in the mix. Maybe we got uh, – was it Julian Edelman that played safety for a bit for the Patriots or something like that? Um, one of yeah. their Julian one of the Belichick slot receivers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, you know, and then hey, we've had a lot of, of uh, injury problems at safety over the last couple of years. So maybe just filling out some depth depth there will uh, pay some dividends. Yeah. So what I was saying uh, yesterday was that as long as he as he still has the technique down, mm-hmm. that's fine. 
I mean, that's fine with me. I mean, he's rangy. He's, what, 6'2", 6'1", 6'2". And he's, what, 200 pounds? So I wouldn't want him to play the box. We know I mean, he he's can not... hit. He's one of our best special teams. Mm-hmm. Gunners. Every uh, every He's a core special teamer. So we know the physicality hitting, that's not going to be an issue. I think just technique, Tran, and, and if he can locate the ball. That's, that's my biggest thing for my safeties. Like, you have to be able to find the football. Mm-hmm. And, like, even with BJ, like, be, being in the box, when we get in that condensed red zone area, like, you got to be able to track the ball better, too. And and, and you saw good t- moments like OU where he, he has a really great collision at the goal line, is able to track it. And then there's times where, you know, they start looking at each other, and I'm like, dude, come on. Where, where are our instincts? Where are our eyes? Mm-hmm. Um, so – Blake Gideon, please help us with that, brother. Please. All I can think of, though, when I think of a guy playing safety, making lots of interceptions, where you're not quite 100% sure Dylan about Haynes. the uh, athleticism. All I all I have to do, I just looked at the schedule, got that reminder. We're not playing BYU. I don't have to watch Brendan Schooler get hurtled repeatedly by Taysom Hill. So it's okay. <laughs> We're all good. I think I can survive that trauma this season. <laughs> What's a hot take, though, like coming out of spring, like for, you know, because I love the hot take line. But like, I think Brennan Schooler is going to play a lot more defense than people think. <laughs> I'm st- we're starting to talk ourselves into it. Yeah. yeah. You know, Stephen, you were talking about whenever you're doing these, all this stuff in the spring, you have to have your micro, uh, was a microscope, right? See, I have to have my Kool-Aid, and this is how, this is why, <laughs> so that you can really talk yourself into, and, and not just talk yourself into, but really start to believe in Brendan Schooler at safety. Um, but I mean, again, like I said, I'm actually not totally against that change. Uh, but other hype players, I mean, okay, there's one that comes to me, and we've mentioned his name a couple times, but probably not giving him the attention he deserves because it's so obvious. Alfred Collins, like that dude, I think is going to be all over the practice reports. Because I think he deserves it, right? And like, like he's also young, so there's like, oh, how's he doing? It's not um, – he hasn't been starting here multiple years. But I think that PK is going to love having him to fill out the line wherever he wants to put him. Um, and he's a little bit – he's not quite the star. You're talking about the brand that is Bijan Robinson, right? Um, he's not quite that level superstar, but he could be just as good, you know? I, mean, I, I thought he was at the take. level I, – I thought <laughs> – I thought Alfred Collins was at the level when when we got him out of uh, you know last year of like a Ed Oliver like as a recruit and not now not the same maybe not five but like in terms of his his potential what he could develop into mm-hmm. so you know I think it is a hot take though to say that he could basically be the defensive version of Bijan Robinson that's that's high that's a big leap to take especially as a interior defensive lineman but i'm here for it yeah, yeah i'm here and, for it too <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's always i don't know it'll always be as hard to be the superstar in the defensive line as the guy scoring all the touchdowns but um sometimes every once in a while it'll happen um the first guy i'm sorry but indomic and sued <laughs> not that he's gonna be like indomic and sued but that's just the first guy that pops up to me is like the the superstar college football defensive lineman. Um, but, but to your credit, the, uh, he's, he's not going to be a guy who's going to get like eight, nine sacks a year. 
but one of the things that he does so well at such a young age was he played the screen game better than any defensive lineman at Texas I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like he was able to read at a at a young age the way that the the blocking scheme the the offensive line was taking, and he would just drop back in coverage. He he should have had three interceptions off of that. One was a bad one that he missed uh, in Iowa State, where he dropped that, and then he had that amazing one-handed catch that he had against uh, uh, Colorado. And I think there's one other one, and that I mean it's 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 very impressive that he learned that so young. I think my hot take as far as things that are, are going to surprise um, is probably a name uh, that a lot of us were excited about coming through and recruiting, but we haven't seen a lot. I think his current highlight at Texas uh, was covering up for Tariq Black's fumble against UTEP and coming up with the loose ball there. Uh, we talked about Wiley. We talked about Cade Brewer. We have not mentioned Braden Lybrock. I could see him coming through. Uh, would not surprise me, knowing that he came out of Arizona coming in as a receiving tight end and receiving, receiving, receiving. Would not surprise me to see him sort of slide on over to the receiver room a little bit more, become more involved as a big-bodied receiver there. Um, but pencil me in as a guy who's buying buying stock while the stock is low um, on Braden Lybrock. And to be clear, not a financial advisor. I just like the stock. <laughs> Uh, buy, buy in on Lybrock. I like it. I like it. That, yeah, I think that so. you're you're gonna be uh, see. That, those are the type of takes that if you're right though, people will come back to you and ask for payment to get on the bus. You know what I mean? Because you were the first one. And if it's one. wrong, and if it's wrong, no one will remember. So no risk, high reward. It's the best <laughs> kind, best kind of stock you can buy. Yeah, and Stephen, I think you mentioned Billingsley earlier, right? The Alabama tight end? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so I think there's a Billingsley-like role out there to be claimed. And, you know, we touched on Brewer, but I could certainly see Lybrock working his way onto the field in that spot. Um, probably not as consistently involved in the offense as Billingsley because he was, um, you know, from my perspective, he was pretty core kind of to their identity as one of their accessory pieces. Sure. Uh, but... Yeah, it's there's certainly a precedent right there. Over under um, after spring ball, three people transfer. Over. 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 Yeah, I'm thinking over, uh, and I think a big one there. And th- this is the only other wrinkle that I think comes in when it comes to the quarterback battle. Is I think if Casey Thompson loses that battle coming out of spring, or seems to be behind coming out of spring, I think Casey Thompson is more likely to start looking for a transfer than if Hudson Card loses that battle. I think Hudson Card's willing to sit another year um, because after this year, if Casey Thompson has a big year, he's eligible to go to the NFL if he wants to. I'm not necessarily calling that he's going to be ready to do that, but I think Hudson Card would be willing to resolve that mentally, say, you know what, I can wait one more year, one more year learning with Sark, and then I'm going to tear it up for a year or two. Um, I, I if, if Hudson Card... Card wins the job. I think it's all but guaranteed that Casey Thompson is in the transfer portal. Um, and I think that will be the biggest thing. That's how we'll really know when this quarterback battle is decided. The only way we'll know that it's decided is if it's Hudson Card with a clear lead because Casey Thompson's in the portal. That's that's the only, the only other thing to note, I guess, for that QB controversy or competition, whatever you want to call it, uh, going into spring ball 
is that driving force. And then I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys and it, it happens every, every time there's a coaching change is you're going to have guys who it's not that they dislike the coaching staff. It's not that they dislike Texas. This coaching staff just isn't the same fit for them. The scheme has changed. Something has changed where they no longer have a clear home that they see. Um, so I think, yeah, three, I, I would certainly go over. There's a guy I'm thinking about right now, just as you made that last point, Josh. But before I get to that particular player, who I think is a candidate, I think Hudson Card would have to have a significant lead on Casey Thompson in order for the coaching staff to feel comfortable naming a starter in the spring. Because I've noticed that there's yeah. really no there's really no upside to naming a starter this early because you want everybody working throughout the summer and you want to hold your room mm -hmm. as long as possible. So if they go, but if it, at the same token, if it's like night and day and, and, you know, Hudson cards moving the offense up and down the field and then they're sputtering every time Casey Thompson's in there and everybody sees it, then I think, I think Josh, you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on there. I think if they're even, if they start telling us, Hey, Wednesday practice, Casey was on point. Hey, Friday scrimmage, Hudson was a little better. If it's even, I think we're fine, and they continue to play it out. I think that's probably likely how it might might even go, to be honest with you. We'll that see. That scenario, mm -hmm. that scenario though, um, you could just mark down uh, Casey as the starter because of exactly what Josh said. Because they're not they're not going to want to drop it down to one starting quarterback just in case that they'll keep him starting day one. And you know if if it still continues to be even, they'll 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 switch it up throughout the throughout the year if there's any issues. So, like you said, they want to keep the the two the two head the two headed monster at that point. You know, just to push each other. They need and they that need them. Yeah, they need, need that them. competition because Charles Wright needs to be on the Mac Jones plan right now of getting his body. Just tuck him away for a year or two. Like I don't want to hear about. I don't need to hear from Charles Wright for a little bit. Like. You like 175, man. Like get up, like how mm -hmm. Mac Jones got up, and then he comes back, knows the offense cold, and he's big. But for right now, I got two people. <laughs> right. And so we, you know, that's not. It all it takes is one play at the quarterback position for you to be the guy. I mean, Sam. Sam was healthy for you know relatively healthy for a while, and then boom, bowl game hits, and he goes down with an injury. Mm -hmm. Right. And and Casey Thompson next man up and so that to me is is a is is very impressive because he came in that colorado game as a one score game people act like casey thompson came in while we were blowing out colorado i think it was what 17 10 coming out of halftime when mm -hmm. he took his first snap that's a lot of pressure regardless of what you think about colorado so i think that's something to be said for for his professionalism and, and preparation <laughs> josh though in terms of people on the team where you look at, all right, stuff got real, and I'm clearly the odd man out. <laughs> and I love this brother so much. I, I know who you're going with. You know who I'm going with, and it's Malcolm yeah, Epps. Yep. Mm. And I'm because he's about to graduate. He's going to get his degree here this spring, and he's he's already being the good the good soldier, and and he's been a good soldier for a while, honestly, because. Despite his struggles as a redshirt freshman, I I think he's been misused. I think that, you know, they didn't give him the opportunities he probably should have got in certain situations. And 
didn't coach him up the way he should have been coached up. I think Malcolm Epps at a different program is a completely different football player. But that I'm looking at people like that where it's just like, man, best of luck to you. Try to, you know, catch on somewhere else. So I definitely take the over on the three, uh, three people hitting the portal. But that's going to be across the board in college football because we didn't have a spring last last year. So everybody kind of stayed put. And so some of those people haven't had those get real moments when you're when it's a week practice goes by and you realize you're still with the threes <laughs> and you're on scout team. <laughs> and, and speaking of the, the impact that COVID could have on that transfer portal, you're talking about an entire class of freshmen who just came in. A, we had the entire coaching staff turnover. B, half of these kids had never been to campus mm-hmm. before they committed, before they signed, and before basically they moved into the dorms. There's a lot of this campus life that they're learning for the first time this semester. Maybe it doesn't work for them. Again, not because there's something uh, systematically wrong with the the campus life at UT, but it's not for everyone. Not everyone's built to live in Austin. Not everyone wants to be in the big city. Not Not everyone wants to be part of a massive university. And until you're really in that, you don't know that. And without being able to have visited for unofficial or official visits, um, I think that adds a whole bunch more volatility to that. Of course, that's not a huge reason to panic because that's going to be true at other schools too. So that the transfer portal is going to be active basically all the way up into August. And then at that point, you kind of need to settle in and be like, these are the guys we got. We got to dance with the ones, the ones that brung us. Um, Agree. But uh, yeah, that, that's the other thing that's going to add that that make that three probably a very low number for the over-under. All right, well, we've done a lot of spring practice talk. Uh, and as I said early on, uh, not a basketball podcast, but the NCAA tournament <laughs> does start this weekend, uh, and hopefully it'll still be starting this weekend based on how long it takes us to edit podcasts. Um, hopefully we can get it out in time before Texas plays, so we're not talking about this like hopeful uh, or really um, – really optimistic outlook and then things look rough against Abilene Christian or something. And by the time this comes out, we're not even in the tournament anymore. Yeah, it's good. We save this for the end so people can just turn it off. Like, I'm sorry if you had a really bad day the other day when the game was played, we're probably depressed right there with you. Just stop the podcast now, please. (laughs) Right. So Texas draws a three seed playing 14 Abilene Christian late Saturday night. we got a really late draw for when that game is coming on. So make sure you get your nap in about a two o'clock nap. You'll be ready to go. Uh, come tip off uh coming off of winning the big 12 tournament for the first time ever for the men's basketball team which i think makes the expectations for this how this is going to play out really wild especially the covid break threw the team off a bit went into a bit of a funk after starting off the year super hot uh and being in that conversation for a one or two seed uh recovered a little bit obviously found that momentum found their footing for the big 12 tournament um what are the actual expectations now for Texas in this tournament? I mean, I, I think we came into this year going sweet 16 probably is what Shaka needs to do to save his job. But then you add that wrinkle of, yeah, we, we just won the Big 12 tournament. What does that do for Shaka's job security? Mm. And at this point, does our performance in this tournament matter for Shaka's job security? Or is he safe no matter what? I, I personally think he's safe this year. It's going to be hard to kind of fire a guy who who won two tournaments this year, uh, was the first ever coach to win the Big 12 tournament. 
Um, I think I he he can't lose the first round. Um, I, I have him in my bracket. I have them. I think I think it's LSU versus them in in the uh, Elite Eight and losing to LSU. I know a lot of people have them have uh have them going to either the Sweet 16 or the Final Four. Usually that, but uh, I just think LSU is a really really high high powered offense team, and I don't know if we'll be able to keep up. Uh, scoring wise, uh, deep in, deep into a tournament run, um, it, it, it all depends on it, it all depends on uh, you know our, our guard play honestly to get us that deep. Uh, whether whether it be Ramey or or Matt Coleman, both of them need to be playing off of each other very well. Uh, we have we have for the first time in a long time athletic bigs who have nothing but energy, which I'm I was really excited about at the beginning of this year. And you know, I mean, if they go to the Elite Eight, I mean, that's the that's the farthest they've been since what TJ TJ was here. No, so. DJ DJ Augustine went to Elite Eight. Did he? Oh, okay. yeah. They they lost to Derrick Rose and oh okay in Memphis. Yeah, but that was that was really our last run, honestly, with um with all those guys, DJ Augustine, AJ Abrams, like that that crew. But I I will say this: I made a video before the season started called make Texas or Texas basketball is fun again. And I will say as a Texas basketball fan, regardless of, of how the NCAA tournament plays out. And, and some people are going to be very upset that I say this. I've really enjoyed this basketball season. I've enjoyed the growth of, of some of the younger guys, especially guys like Kai Jones, who I was already on the Kai Jones bandwagon, and if you know what type of basketball player and how raw he was when we got him last year, you know, coming out, you know, really from the Bahamas, and what he is already evolved and developed into, um, Matt Coleman, his journey, his story, and how Matt Coleman really kind of took over in that Big 12 championship game, and and his recruitment with Shaka Smart. I mean, he, he'd been recruiting Matt Coleman since he was at BCU mm-hmm. and Matt Coleman was like a ninth grader. Right. So like there's, these are all very, and then nobody dunks as much as we do. We, we Jericho Sims, Greg Brown, like our whole crew. I think with, with, with us in particular, getting out of this tournament and having success to answer Josh's question for me, sweet 16, Get to that second weekend because then once you get to the Sweet 16 and you can kind of check that box, pressure's off. Go play basketball. Go try to get as far as you can. And if LSU shoots the lights out against you, you know, you tip your – because then that's what the tournament becomes. If somebody gets hot, then you just tip your cat that day. But you got to get to the second weekend, especially with the draw that Texas got. Like, they have a chance. But my question is can they wake up Greg Brown and – figure out his emotions, I would say, and get him centered? And can they wake up Courtney Ramey again? Because they essentially won the Big 12 tournament with them playing horribly Mm -hmm. and still got out of it. Now, they can't get away with that in the NCAA tournament. But to Transpoint, before COVID, they won Maui Invitational. Mm -hmm. Good good schools they beat there. They were 10-1. And people just... People got off the bandwagon after the COVID stuff, but that was a real issue. <laughs> no, we talked about that. You With and I were offline talking about that. Is that because our first game right after all the COVID cases was Baylor, 
And we just right when everybody finally yes. got yeah they were out of breath. Yeah. The second should... the second half they couldn't even breathe. We hadn't practiced means they probably hadn't been conditioning, and we don't know what effects you know those of you who've had COVID or haven't had COVID it affects everybody's body very very differently. Even our coach was having issues with it. So I think it's all uh, in front of us. But they got to get for me they got to get to the second weekend. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for as uh, of more of a, I guess, casual basketball fan. I've enjoyed the season a lot, actually, um, and it was kind of nice going into it. There was definitely more confidence, I think, in this basketball team, and it sucks that COVID all that time kind of took away from that because going into the season, in the beginning of the season, the talent's clearly there, the experience was clearly there, Um and then it kind of all got derailed mid-season, but now we seem to have gotten at least some of that back, right? Uh, there's um, been some new guys emerge. I, I you'll have to correct me <laughs> again if I'm wrong on here, but like Jericho Sims has been playing more consistently at a high level. He has, um, yeah. And you've and got. I think that, that correlates with uh, with Greg Brown not playing, mm-hmm. so he's he's playing a lot more with uh, with Greg Brown. You know, I, I know he's just been playing uh he, he's young so you know he's letting his emotions get the best of him mm-hmm. yeah and then if it's i guess the guys that i'll watch are probably the same as the ones you mentioned ramey and i think i'll throw andrew jones in there because i think that he's always a guy that can really like if you have all three of those guys playing well in the same game mm. like that's a really scary <laughs> offense um and he's i don't know kind of I've always kind of seen him as like a, a Jamal Crawford type that sometimes he'll just be really hot. Um, and he kind of fits that, that bill is just that guy you bring on to try to get the offense going and stuff. Um, it's probably not really the best player comparison, but that's just kind of how my head cannon <laughs> uh, is set up. And then I'm hoping for sweet 16. Cause I just think once you get to a round that has a name, that's <laughs> it's like a whole big deal. Uh, Cause you know, nobody says, "Oh, yeah, we were round of thirty-two, but no, um, no, that's not sexy. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's at least Nobody. better than that. Those couple of years where they kept trying to call those like first four games the first round, and everyone was just confused as hell when the second round was actually the real first round, and then they <laughs> had a third round that was actually the second round. I, I'm just glad we got past that. But at, again, as a casual basketball fan as well. The one thing I remember when when Shaka was brought in, people pointed a lot to lack of regular season success. Didn't have the conference titles at VCU. Got hot for tournaments. What I was told was that Shaka Smart's brand of basketball that was going to sort of come along with him was one that was built for tournament runs. Where it's, yeah, you give a team a week to get ready for you, it's not that hard to break down Shaka's, Shaka's stuff. However... You have to figure it out in two days because you just played. You got to watch tape tomorrow, and then you got to go play them the next day. Shaka Smart is built to make those runs. This is this is the point where all right, time to prove it. You've got a team that has that talent. You have a team that has shown that it can score, which has been an issue in the past for Texas, um, and the, the defense is still solid at the very very least. Um, here's your opportunity. Prove it. This is what Shaka Smart was here to do. Is I mean, he was more or less hired on the back of that deep VCU run yep. back in, what was it, like 2011. Yeah, yep. um, so bring in that version of Shaka, that version that's built to make a run in a tournament. Do it. Here's your chance. The team is as 
as experienced a team as you're going to get, it's built for this kind of run. Make it happen. I agree. Last thing, Go ahead, Noah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say the last thing I'd add on the on the basketball front is just that the season has been a lot of fun, I think, with storylines. Like, you know, you have the Matt Coleman tech free throw, like before and after freshman to senior year. Um, Shaka Smart with hair suddenly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, like, COVID obviously was a negative one. And then you even got Jericho Sims smiling every once in a while. So I think that just as a fan of the team, even beyond the level of play, that's been pretty cool to follow. Yeah, Andrew Jones as well, and, and mm, yeah, that was the yeah, big one, yeah, yeah, his his recovery, and just the fact that you know it's one thing you're back playing basketball, it's another thing you're back in the rotation, but to be the leading scorer, and and to produce at the level he's produced, and I agree with Noah though, I I do think that in a perfect world for Texas to have the most success, he probably should remain in that third guard spark plug type role. And let, because when Matt Coleman, Matt, my issue with Matt Coleman, he's just not aggressive enough all the time. But I think he finally, it finally clicked for him. Like, I got to be a little selfish and just, he can get by anybody when he wants to, but he's so passive. And, and Ramey is so hot and cold, but Matt Coleman can consistently get to his spots. So if we can get that version of Matt Coleman, get a better version of Ramey and have Andrew Jones in that third, hey, we just need you to get shots up. We just need you to be. We, when things start bogging down the half court, be able to get us a good look, boom, off the dribble, cool. I think the thing that's going to be refreshing for Texas, for these players, is getting out of the Big 12. The Big 12 was a gauntlet this year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I mean, all right, let's put aside Iowa State and, and, and TCU maybe, but everybody was good, and everybody was tough, matched up well. When you have to play West Virginia one day and go to Tech – and then go to Kansas, and then play Baylor. That's craziness. And so now playing, you know, Abilene Christian, and no disrespect to Abilene Christian, but I think you're going to see a version of Texas that you saw early in the non-conference where they were just overwhelming people with their athleticism because unless you're in the conference, you don't realize how big an athletic Texas is. And I think that's going to be a significant issue for teams that try to match up against Texas in the tournament that are not that haven't scouted scouted us like like our in-conference mates and aren't used to 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 playing with us like that i think that's going to be an advantage like we saw in the preseason okay so the last question i got last basketball one i want to know i'm sure everyone here has been making 18 different brackets trying to come up with the one that's going to win them two million dollars or whatever it is warren buffett's money i don't know if they're still (laughs) doing that but everyone's been throwing together brackets. The one where you tried to be the, as objective as possible, because we all definitely have one, at least one, where Texas wins it all. Yeah. Who do you have winning the tournament in your most objective bracket? The one where you tried the best to take off the burnt orange glasses and, and look at everyone with as pure of eyes as possible. I have Baylor. And I, th- I think that they're, they're a really balanced team. And I think if they can get a day in between games to prep for teams, I, I think they're just really hard to beat. Um, we we were lucky. We were lucky in the fact that we didn't have to play them, and they were playing back to back to back, and then and then ran into uh, ran into Oklahoma State, and then we we had that day off because of COVID, and we we had a we had a day, an extra day to rest for the for the uh, Big Twelve championship. 
but I just I just I'm completely impressed by by what Baylor has done this year. I know everyone's talking about Gonzaga, but um, but I, I I think it's really hard to go through a a season unscathed. I think the last time they did that was was Indiana back in the day. Yeah, Indiana 1976, Bob Knight. Yeah. So it's been it's been quite a while, and I I don't I can't foresee that happening again for a while too. Noah, you want to go? Uh, sure. I actually, I don't even think I've made mine yet. I'm going to scramble to get mine in here. Um, I know, but <laughs> ruin the segment. No, I will say I that supposed to prepare for this. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'd probably go Gonzaga or Baylor are the two that I kind of going into it. I'm expecting to choose one of them. Um, so this gives me twice the odds in, in a month when we look back at the podcast. <laughs> Hedging your bets. Yeah. I'll I'll go next, Josh. I, I'm I'm not betting against Gonzaga, and and I know the pressure to go undefeated. I think the team that was the closest that I can remember was probably the Carl Anthony Towns twenty. I think it was the 2015 Kentucky team with with Devin Booker. I think they came in undefeated before they lost. I don't know if anybody was undefeated since. But, was it Memphis too, one one year, and then Kansas beat them. But that was like '08. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. I don't know if they were undefeated though. But that Memphis team was really, really good. I know yep. what you're talking about. I think Kansas was or, uh, Kentucky was the last one though. Um, that that Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns team. Oh, okay, yeah. But I I say that to say with Gonzaga, when I watch them play basketball. They have so few weaknesses. They have so many different ways they can beat you. Like, they can have – because I like Baylor. I really do like Baylor, and I and I think the matchup is intriguing because I think people – the dude I hate on Baylor, Mark Vidal, who's just a thorn. <laughs> I can't stand that kid. He's, you know, the annoying 6'4 college basketball player that's definitely going to be an NFL tight end. He has, like, mm-hmm. no chance to make it to the NBA, but he, like – for whatever reason, can bother everybody. You know, people probably feel that way about Brock Cunningham a little bit. I got, you know, we you got to have that that person if you want to be a good college basketball team. Mm-hmm. And Baylor has that, and I think they can be give them some toughness. But Drew Timmy on Gonzaga, so skilled. You look at Jalen Suggs, who has a chance to be the number one overall pick, and he has a calmness about him as a freshman who reminds me of like Jason Kidd that's a little bit more skillful offensively scoring the basketball and Mark few is time. Mark few been at Gonzaga putting out, cranking out back to the Adam Morrison days, cranking out teams and it's time. And, and you look at this COVID. I don't think Gonzaga's had the same type of COVID problems that other people have been derailed with. I think that matters. And I think they just have more ways to beat you than any other team in the country. And I think they'll cut down the nets. For mine, I went as objective as possible. Even before Selection Sunday, I went through, just did a random number generator, just did seed versus seed, historical data, just plugged in all the numbers. Definitely very high level. Trust me on that. Just don't, don't, don't look too hard into it. <laughs> um, but random number generator, I've got Michigan over Houston, actually as the uh, championship game. And then I just took a blind guess on the, the numbers. Uh, but for that one, that one has me 
has Bama beating Texas in the Sweet 16. Um, what else was in there? Well, so then we Obama already know State. it's wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Michigan. Oh, like <laughs> that's fine. If that, I would love for my bracket to be perfectly wrong. I'd love for Texas to go all the way. Uh, I think one of the more interesting ones was it had Florida making it to the Elite Eight, um, and Ooh. then one that I liked just on random number was Oklahoma State making a run, and I could totally buy Cade Cunningham just sort of one man armying Oklahoma State deep into the Elite Eight. I, I could totally see that happening. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think I've posted some of that stuff on Twitter a little bit, what my uh, random number generator came up with, but um, that is as objective as it gets, and it's got Michigan for my uh, my champion. Jawan Howard, the, the the return of the Fab Five to glory, Michigan Wolverines. That'd be a story in itself if they if they cut down the nets. At that point, I think... You have that level of legend behind your name. You just got to hang it up right there. I know he just got started at Michigan, but that's just where you're like, you know what? Got to go out on top. I've done it all now. I brought my alma mater back to the to Natty. I'm gonna go to the NBA. I think you, you know go. after that, you know, if you're NBA team, you got to hit up Juwan Howard. Well, I know. Coming into this, we were talking about this taking 45 minutes to an hour. Here we are, an hour and a half later. Um, which, I mean, I don't think anyone here was watching the clock, which is probably a good thing. Uh, definitely a good conversation. Uh, thank you guys, uh, especially Stephen and Tran, for stopping by. Uh, if you are not already, if you're someone who's listening to our podcast uh, and is not already subscribed, uh, they are on the push to 10,000 over on uh, YouTube at F- uh, Fanatic Perspective. Definitely check them out, uh, especially if you get on the boat now. You'll be there before they are posting a video showing off their fancy silver plaque from YouTube saying a hundred thousand. You'll be like, I remember when, when they were just, <laughs> just hang out with random podcasts. Uh, I remember back in the day. So get on there early. Uh, you guys always posting good content. Um, if you're a Texas fan, uh, and especially if you're a fan of, of sports, even outside of Texas, um, you, yeah, I love the, the, the content you guys put out, uh, even though I have no idea what you're talking about, I even enjoy watching the, those videos where you're talking UFC. UFC is not for me, but you guys just make it. Something about it is just more interesting when you guys are talking about it. So uh, thank you for taking the time to stop by. Josh, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And this was a blast. Thank you. And uh, where else can we find you guys online uh, if the people are looking for you outside of YouTube? Absolutely. So it's going to be Fan Perspective on Twitter. Uh, you'll be able to find us if you type in fanatic perspective, but because of the character limit perspective is spelled wrong, but fan perspective on Twitter, fanatic perspective on YouTube, of course, and fanatic perspective on Instagram. I'm trying to get some more love on IG people. So, uh, throw us a follow on there as well. Greatly appreciate it. And that reminds me, make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, both at, at the FSS podcast. Uh, Noah and I will be back for our next episode following the Orange-White Spring Game, April 24th, DKR. I don't think they've announced attendance or COVID protocol stuff for that yet. Uh, I would imagine, knowing in the past how it hasn't been that full, they shouldn't have any problem having the stadium more or less wide open. Um, But you got to get out there. Get the all-gas-no-breaks experience uh, right from the very start. Um, But until next time, everyone stay safe, stay healthy. And hook them. Hook them. Thank you.